Lovely day in Salford. Wednesday it is the 12th of May 2021. Lovely day in Salford. How are you today? Are you well? Do drop me a tweet, BBG Richie. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show. I'm with you till 7 o'clock. I've got two terrific guests today uh, that you don't want to miss. So uh, let's get on with it as the old saying goes. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Now, a woman called Christine Padgham reached out to the program. She said, Richie, I'm one of the lead people for a group called Inform Scotland. That's informscotland.uk. That's the website. It's a group of people, including virologists, statisticians, doctors and lawyers. They are concerned that contextualised data on COVID in Scotland isn't as easily available as it should be. Informscotland.uk, Christine Padgham on the programme this hour. Later on in the programme, Gerald Salente, the great man, the man behind the Trends Journal, trendsjournal.com or trendsresearch.com, accurately predicting trends, socio-economic, geopolitical trends forever. Top man, Gerald Salente, live from Kingston in New York State. Ah, it's good to be with you, to be with you, good. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. I tell you what, though, we had some showers earlier and thunder and lightning and the wee doggy, the wee golden retriever, God bless her. I think it was her first experience of thunder and she didn't bat an eyelid. She was out in it. She was out in it, didn't care. And when she had an experience of fireworks on New Year's, she didn't care either. That's good, isn't it? She's a tough little puppy. Like like a soul. Tough little puppy. Right, yeah. Family and friends and neighbours have been telling me that they're going to have the vaccine. Honestly, I don't know what to do. So I give them a ring from the studio. I don't record them because that wouldn't be fair. But I give them a bell. Honestly, family and friends, former radio colleagues. What do you know, Richie? I'm going to have my jam, thank you very much. So I don't know what to do about that. So I decide to sing them a song to bring them to their senses. So a friend says to me, Asher, I'm going to have the jab, Richie. And I say, so you're going to get into your car and drive to the doctor's office. Yes. And you'll go in the doctor's office. Yes. And the doctor will then stick the needle in your arm. Yes. So you go in the office and the vaccine goes in you. All right, then. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs> You're going to have the vaccine, are you? Are you going to have the vaccine? Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Try that. I want you to try that and I want to tell me I want you to tell me how you get on. Right, next time somebody you love, use a bit of humor. 
says, I'm off to have me job anyway, despite you and your research. Farewell and adieu to my fair Spanish ladies. Off you go then and have the job. I'm sure you'll be okay, says you. All right. I know I'm a big child. Hey, spare a thought for Peter Sheehy and the Mrs. Christine, landlords of the Turk Head Inn, Gloucester City Centre. They had grand reopening plans for next Monday when they would have been able to serve people indoors. They had a Batman coming down, somebody dressed as Batman. Honestly, I'm not making this up. It was a big deal. But then they were told that one of the victims of notorious serial killer Fred West might be buried just outside the pub, under the street. Of all the feckin' look, eh? I don't find serial killers funny, but can you imagine? <laughs> You've planned this great reopening, you can't wait, the phone rings. Brr, brr. You answer, hi, it's the Turk head in, Peter speaking. The police, is it? Yeah, how are you? Yeah? I, I am, I am looking forward to next Monday as it happens. I can't wait for the Batman to come down and open up. What's that? We can't open up. Why can't we open up? Fred West, you found a body under the street just outside the pub, have you? <laughs> of all, of all the feckin' look! Yeah, that's uh, Peter Sheehy and Christine. We're going to scale back the reopening plans now, they said, out of respect for the victim, yeah. There will be an inquiry into the handling of the pandemic. There is no pandemic, there never was. But Boris Johnson said today that in spring 22, an inquiry will begin, a public inquiry, into the handling of the so-called pandemic. Here's Johnson today. Our country, like every country, has found itself uh, in the teeth of the, greatest, uh, the gravest pandemic for a century, imposing heartbreaking sorrow on families across the world, with more than 127,000 lives lost in the United Kingdom alone. And... Our grief would have been still greater without the daily heroism of the men and women of our National Health Service, the protection of our vaccines, already in the arms of over two-thirds of adults across the UK, and the dedication of everyone who has followed the rules and sacrificed so much that we cherish. Amid such tragedy, the state has an obligation to examine its actions as rigorously and as candidly as possible, and to learn every lesson for the future. Mm, that was Johnson. The response from Keir Starmer then to the news of the inquiry, he's the Labour leader. The principle is that the inquiry should be as soon as possible. As soon as possible. Now I understand an inquiry, a statutory inquiry will take time to set up. Of course it will. But why can it not be later this year? Why can it not start earlier? The Prime Minister says the inquiry will start in spring 2022. Is that, Prime Minister, the opening of the inquiry and the beginning of taking of evidence, spring 2022, or is that starting work in setting up the inquiry? They're two very different things. Because if it's the latter, the inquiry won't then be for many months afterwards. Mm, that was Starmer's response to news of the inquiry, which will begin in spring. The thing to remember about inquiries are what, or the thing I should say, to remember about an inquiry is what are the terms of reference? This is important. What are the terms of reference? And those haven't yet been determined. It's all very well to announce an inquiry. But what is it going to be looking at? At what point will it start? Excuse me. From what point will it begin? From what, um, 
What will be the idea behind it? Will it be to check into, did we lock down quick enough? Were we quick enough to get the face masks and the aprons to the hospital workers? Will those be the terms of reference? Or will it be a proper inquiry? Now, you know and I know it won't be a proper inquiry. You know, what sort of witnesses will be called? Will they call witnesses like Carl Hennigan, Oxford University Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine, and others who maintain to this day that the lockdown was a disaster and that a lockdown should never be imposed on people? Will the inquiry look into whether there was any need for a lockdown or not? Of course it probably won't. This is the problem you have, you see. It begins next year, and we'll have to wait for the terms of reference. You know, what? where will they start out from? You know? And of course they'll start out from the from the idea, from the notion that th- that the lockdown was needed, that's a given. That's a given. Lockdown was necessary, that's a given. So put that to one side. Let's look at, did we do it quick enough, hard enough, fast enough? Did we have enough things in place? Did we move stuff around quick enough? Did we look after the old people? That's how it's going to be. But they won't look into whether the lockdown was the right thing to do or not, in my opinion. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show, nine minutes past five. It is Wednesday's programme. Wednesday's programme. RichieAllen.co.uk is my website. I update it pretty much most days with articles that you might find interesting, you might not find interesting. This is important. This is very important. Pfizer has asked the UK regulator, the MHRA, that's the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. Pfizer has asked it for permission to use its COVID-19 mRNA jab in 12 to 15 year olds. If you're paying attention, you'll know that the US Food and Drug Administration approved the jab for this age group. They approved it on Monday. Pfizer is claiming that a trial shows 100% efficacy among 12 to 15 year olds. I don't buy it for a minute. It's lies on top of lies, lies to cover lies. I don't buy it. Okay, so that's what's going on. Now, a gentleman was quoted by The Telegraph today. His name is Professor Anthony Harnden, and he was uh, speaking about giving the jab to 12 to 15-year-olds and how the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation will be watching what happens in America very closely. Okay, So this guy, Anthony Harnden, Professor Anthony Harnden, is the Deputy Chairman of the JCVI, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. And he was asked about plans to give the jab to 12 to 15-year-olds in the UK when he was on Sky News this afternoon. This is what he said. Well, I think we'll look at children uh, and that, that young people very carefully. So at, at the moment, we um, the Pfizer vaccine in this country is only licensed from use of uh, 16 and above, and the AstraZeneca, of course, 18 and above. Um, we'll look very carefully at what the United States are doing. Of course, vaccinate children really don't get very many complications from COVID. A few very small number of individuals get very sick, but the majority don't. And so the reasons that you'd be vaccinating children in the main are not to prevent severe COVID-like illness in themselves, but to prevent um, them transmitting to other members, of the vulnerable members of the community, whether they be unvaccinated or haven't responded to the vaccine for a particular reason. So you have to be very, very careful about the safety issues in children, um, given that you'd be predominantly vaccinating them for 
uh, the benefit of others. Uh, and we'll look very carefully at what the United States do and, and what the safe emerging safety evidence is coming from those vaccines. Uh, and one final thought, oh sorry, one final thought from you, Professor, and that is about the Indian variant, now a variant of concern. How worried are you about that as lockdown measures start to be eased? Wow, she didn't ask any questions about the insanity of vaccinating 12-year-olds to protect the community. No, no. Let's start the fear-mongering again about variants from India. What does he say? To be eased. I think it is of concern, I think, and it's been deemed a variant of concern, as you say. Um, the evidence we've had so far is that it's only in certain pockets in the country, but of course it is potentially a transmissible virus like, like the um, Kent variant. Uh, and therefore, we'll have to look very carefully at how the vaccines respond to these um, these variants. Um, initial data seems to suggest that um, there isn't a huge amount of vaccine escape, but we'll be monitoring that very carefully. Mm. That's Anthony Harnden, who's the deputy chair of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. Unimaginably evil to, the, to, to, to even contemplate vaccinating children for something they don't get. And even if they do, they don't know they have. And only in very, very rare cases do they get ill. And junk science to claim that children would be vaccinated to protect the wider community. We're really here now, aren't we? Through the looking glass. Yeah, yeah. You need to educate yourself. If you've got a child or children and you've just stumbled on this programme, or, well, there isn't a programme like it, or other independent media outlets, you need to start paying attention now. You really do. Um, I asked on richieallen.co.uk today and I meant it, are we living in a hologram? Is this uh, an illusion? Did we stumble into a parallel universe at some point in the last 20 years without noticing it? Because Alastair Campbell has been presenting, uh, co-presenting, I should say, Good Morning Britain this week with the regular host there, a woman called Susanna Reid, Alastair Campbell. Yeah, I wrote about this many times. Dodgy dossier himself, liar. Pervert the course of justice, accessory to genocide. Yeah, he's presenting it. And, and I looked on Good Morning Britain this morning because I was given a heads up that Tony Blair was going to be on there. Yes, you had the spectre, because that's what it is, of, of, of Alastair Campbell, spin doctor for a genocidal maniac, interviewing a genocidal maniac on national television. They discussed a number of things, including the Labour Party's woes and its recent, uh, its very poor performance in local elections last week. And of course, they got on to vaccinating children and vaccinating people and getting the AstraZeneca jab into people and dealing with the misinformation around the AstraZeneca jab. Yes, you had war criminals and murderers responsible for the deaths of millions of people sitting on television this morning, one presenting, one being interviewed, discussing giving poisonous jabs, jabs that are already being proven to cause enormous damage to people. These guys were talking about giving them to children. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Alastair Campbell presenting and Tony Blair. Astonishing. What's next? Because apparently Alastair Campbell was guest hosting for a few days. He's gone now. Who's next to guest host? Ian Huntley, maybe? 
Let's get Ian Huntley all the way from Soham just for the week. It's Ian Huntley, the former caretaker and child murderer. Let's bring him on to co-host with Susanna Reid. He's a child murderer, but he's got a good grasp of geopolitics and he's able to read autocue. Welcome, Ian. Thanks, Susanna. And if Jessica and Holly's family are watching, it's all water under the bridge, you know. I'm good on the telly. Is that how it's going to be now from now on in? Don't laugh. Eh? Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary, says he's very concerned about the deaths of free speech on university campuses in the UK. Uh, Cancel culture, speakers being cancelled, sometimes at financial cost to them because woke students are terrified they'll be triggered by things they might hear or might not hear. Ian Murray is a media consultant. He was on Talk Radio Mike Graham's programme today. He wants free speech officers on campus. It's ironic that those who profess to be caring so much and speaking up on behalf usually of others and saying what you said or what you're doing is so harmful to others, you're horrible, are actually some of the nastiest people around. Mm. Yeah, and they, they really seem are. to think that because you're saying something that they disagree with, they can actually be vile about it. Mm. And I think that goes to the heart of what the government are trying to fight back against now. How successful they're going to be with this, this no more woke culture or no more deplatforming in universities remains to be seen. Because, it, 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 you know, it puts a, it, you know, you can imagine yourself as one of these sort of like lily-livered weak vice chancellors mm. or, or, or administrators at the, at the university. On, four, and, on 400 grand a year. Exactly, exactly. And what's this going to do? Well, it's a case of, well, if we invite someone who's, you know, could be controversial like yourself mm. or, or Graham Ayn Greer or, or Jordan Peterson or even me to come and things, you know what's going to happen. Mm. We know we're going to upset a, a body of our students, not all of them, some of them, the students' union. They're going to campaign. They're going to try and stop this, this guy from speaking or this gal from speaking. They'll put a ring of steel around the place. Even if they get in, they'll just shout them down while they're talking. Mm. So is it worth the stuff? Because then they'll be able to now go and sue us. Right. What for? I'm not quite sure. Lost expenses or defamation of character. I don't know. So you can see that they're just going to say, you know what? It's just not worth bringing him here. And yes. what the government need to do, and the devil will be in the detail, is actually go further and actually say, look, universities, you get a lot of money off the government. We want you to put into your charter that you uphold free speech. Yes. We want to see real, genuine work on that. We want to see it put in your prospectus to your future students. Come here and prepare to be challenged. And they've all got, you know, diversity officers. Mm. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. They've all got pastoral officers looking after the care of students. Nothing wrong with that. How about a free speech officer? Yeah, free speech officers. I'll apply for that job. If this one goes tits up, eh? I might do, might not. Then again, uh, the Brit Awards took place last night. Was it at the O2 Arena, was it? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. 4,000 people were left in. They all had to have COVID tests. They had to have COVID tests beforehand. And they were left in. To watch, uh, well, Elton John did a duet, didn't he? It's a Sin, the Pet Shop Boys. He did a duet with somebody I never heard of. Uh, There was all sorts of shenanigans going on. It got very political. Little Mix, Little Mix had plenty to say about misogyny and women because apparently Little Mix were the first group of women, little women, apparently, to win the Best Group Award and then some other woman went on to a little bit of a tirade about giving NHS workers more money. Little flavour of the Brits. The other big winner of the night was women, after last year's awards were heavily criticised for being male-dominated. Go on, the women. With Little Mix becoming the first female act ever to win Best Group. It's not easy being a female in the UK pop industry. It's not easy being a female in the UK pop industry. We've seen the white male dominance, 
White male dominance. Misogyny. Misogyny. Sexism. Sexism. And lack of diversity. Lack of diversity. So this award isn't just for us. It's for the Spice Girls. For the Spice Girls. Sugar babes. I think it's like, ah. Sugar babes, all saints. Girls allowed. Girls allowed. The incredible, incredible female bands. What about the Pointer Sisters, you racist bastards, eh? What about the Three Degrees? This one's for you. <laughs> Little mix there. Oh, but come back, Bono, all is forgiven. And best album went to Dua Lipa, who also got best female solo artist. Dua Lipa? And gave a shout out to the two and a half thousand key workers in the audience. There's a massive disparity between gratitude and respect for frontline workers because it's very good to clap for them, but we need to pay them. Give a massive, massive round of applause and give Boris a message that we all support a fair pay rise for our frontline. Yeah. So I bet you Bojo is shitting himself. Dua Lipa is calling him out there at the Brit Awards, 21 minutes past uh, five o'clock. Like I told you at the top of the programme, it's a song. I'm giving you a song. I want you to sing it. Your relatives are telling you. Your family is telling you. Your friends are telling you. They're having the vaccine. You don't, you don't know what to do. They're having it. They're telling you in a way that's meant to put your back up. It's meant to get you annoyed. Despite all your research, I'm going to have a vaccine anyway. Sing them the song to bring them to their senses. I'm having the jab, says your mate. You say, so you're going to get in the car, are you? Drive to the doctor's, are you? And then you'll go into the doctor's office, you will. And the doctor will then stick the needle in your arm. So you'll go into the office and then the vaccine goes into you, does it? Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Robert Shaw there. It's 22 minutes past five o'clock. Got a great programme for you. Christine Padgham joins me in a few minutes. Time after that, it's Gerald Salente in the second hour. The Richie Allen Radio Show, the most listened to independent radio show in Europe. I'm the presenter. This is Cheryl Crow. Every day is a winding road, so it is. Cheryl Crow on the Richie Allen Show. That is uh, every day's a winding road. 26 minutes past five o'clock. I'm looking forward to chatting with my first guest. Don't forget Gerald Salente, trendsjournal.com, trendsresearch.com. He'll join me in the second hour. My first guest reached out to me overnight, I'm glad that she did, to tell me about Inform Scotland. Do check out the website informscotland.uk. They are a group of statisticians, virologists, doctors, lawyers and communications specialists. They got together because they have a common concern that contextualised data on coronavirus in Scotland is not as easily available as it should be and that Scotland lacks forums where critical and informed discussion of this data and the policies which are claimed to rest on it can take place. Delighted to welcome to the programme Christine Padgham. Hi Christine. Hi Richie. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for uh, getting in touch. 
Um, I, well, there's loads I want to talk to you about. When I announced you were coming on, some of our Scottish listeners wanted to hear about Moray Shire. If I've said that right, God forgive me if I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. it wrong now, Moray. And what's going on there. But tell us about the Informed Scotland. How long has it been up and running, Christine? Um, we set it up the beginning of January this year. Um, just in response to a lot of the concerns that, as I say, we kind of, we all got together um, kind of found one another through our scepticism about how the data was being presented to people in Scotland. And did that come out of um, did that come out of the, the daily briefings that Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon was presenting on TV? Had that anything to do with it? Yes. So I had started actually in September last year updating the statistics on the Us for Them Scotland. Facebook page yeah. and I did a sort of daily blog on there to present people with the data and it just uh, people were always a bit surprised because I think the picture often looked a lot more positive than it sounded on the news or when the government was presenting it um, so it, it evolved into a website Christine, do you, do you mean that people's own daily experiences of being out and about differed greatly from what they were being told on the TV? Like you're being told on the TV that the situation is grave, but when you meet people, yeah. anecdotally, it's completely different. Yeah, well, it was all, in their real life experience, they might, have been, they might have had that feeling. Yeah. But when I presented the data to them on the Us For Them Scotland page, I think often people were really surprised by how low the numbers were or yeah. how it wasn't maybe quite as terrifying a situation as it sounded. Yeah. Um, and that's just with the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Um, and I was just presenting them to the daily. So there was a bit of an appetite, we thought, for a website. And we set it up. And since January, we've had enormous traffic at times through our website. It's been really, really successful. It's nice to see a well-presented website, by the way. Congratulations to whoever did that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, because yeah, too often... Yeah, we've a really good website designer on our team. Um, and he's done a really good job with the website. Fantastic. No, it really is. It's nice because often people do things like this and they don't think about the presentation because when, when you're getting people who might be on the fence and you want them to take a look at something, the presentation, Christine, needs to be bang on and it is it's really really good no it is no i love what you're doing so you're taking the data that the government has put out there nicholas sturgeon and others boris johnson and others are you know urging people to be scared and 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 be cautious around this data but you're looking at the data in other ways and saying well look look at the the data and you shouldn't or you don't need to be as scared or as worried or as concerned as they want you to be that's where it began basically Mm-hmm. And not even just not really saying that they don't have to be as scared as the government wants them to be. It's just like look at these data for yourself yeah. and decide how scared you should be. Yeah. You know how scared are you? And the the thing is, like if if when the first minister gets up and I can't, I think to, yesterday there were two hundred and thirty eight cases in Scotland. Well, if you're coming into that and you've not been looking at the data long term, there's no context there. You don't know no. how does that compare to yesterday though, which is the important. A question and so when you present it in a graph and you show people like what the sort of the zero line is and we're really on that now in Scotland it's like well why are we still you know how much better does the situation need to get before we get some peace 
and can go about our lives normally again. Is that your concern, um, Christine, that really Sturgeon now and others are looking at this from a zero COVID point of view? Is that the concern now? Well, there there is. A, I think the talk about zero COVID has calmed down a little bit recently, but we're never going to get to zero COVID if we continue to test people at the rate no. we are because you just always have a false positive uh, return coming back and if you don't know what that level is you'll never know when you're actually at zero covid we could be at zero covid now in scotland yeah. but we wouldn't know because nobody's working out what the false positive numbers are and actually one of our team is a very good data analyst um, and he has done a few pieces on that like graphing the false positive rates with time according like based on the OMS prevalence survey. And you can see that for a very long time now, we've had majority false positives coming back. Can you, put that, can you put that into layperson's language? Not for the listeners now, for me, Christine, because I'm fascinated <laughs> by this. No, I, I do. Tell us about mm-hmm. why, why we should talk more and think more about the rate of false positives when testing is occurring. What's going on? Well, false positives are just, a statistical fact. It's not a measure of how good or bad a test is. It's just if you do mass screening of a population, you will always get some positives back for whatever you're testing for. And people know this. People, you already know, like women, when they go for their cervical screening um, tests, if you, if there comes back a positive from your original test, you would never be diagnosed with cervical cancer based on that. You would always have a second test. You would maybe have a biopsy. You would they would do other tests on you. And the same for men with prostate screening or bowel cancer screening, all these, like everything that you would ever be tested for medically, they always would back up their test result with symptoms yeah. or like a medical diagnosis. But because it's just through human error, because we don't live in a world where anything is perfect, you will always get a certain number of false positives back. And there's a, we have never worked out with this um, SARS-CoV-2 testing, which is often wrongly called COVID-19 testing. It's not a COVID-19 test. You're testing for the presence of the virus, SARS-CoV-2. You will always get some positives back because of errors or because, I mean, people, I think, are quite well aware of the PCR test limitations where people can have an old virus and it'll pick up a positive from that and you're not necessarily infectious but the RNA is present in your system. So we get all these positives back and they're not necessarily all true positives. Some of them are in error and that's not a criticism of the test. It's just a fact fact. of mass screening. It's a great analogy. It's a great analogy you just drew with the uh, cervical smear test. What a great analogy. So what they've been doing since March last year is using PCR tests on perfectly healthy people most of the time. Mm-hmm. And these tests are coming back a lot of the time as positive. But there's nothing wrong with the yeah. person. They're not then no. doing anything else, like looking in to see if the person is really sick or no. any of that. They're just adding it to the data. You're, it's a very good point you're making. Yeah. yeah. And then what will happen, of course, imagine you had a population that had no COVID in it. I yeah. just said we could be at zero COVID in Scotland now and we wouldn't know. You could have a population that had no COVID, no SARS-CoV-2 present in it at all, but you will always get some random positives back. And in that case, 100% of your positives are false. Yeah. And yeah. so we have sort of 
started trying to fix that in Scotland now where people are doing a lot of um, lateral flow tests at home and then if they come back positive you have to book a PCR test and get tested through PCR so that is sort of confirmatory testing but the problem is because you're using two different types of tests because the false positive rate is still high for PCR especially as prevalence gets very low so if you imagine you've got a population that's got very little SARS-CoV-2 present in it um, you could get posit lots of positives back and they're all false so that means that your proportion of positives back are false yeah. um, th so it's not ideal that we're using two different types of tests to, you, to, to do this confirmatory testing and also we think that the lateral flow test can pick up old virus as well or kind of er clinically relevant um, viral fragments and then the PCR test confirms that. So you've still got asymptomatic people testing positive and it, it's likely that a lot of them are not positives at all. Certainly not. Now, certainly not transmissible. Yeah. We've been trying to talk to the Scottish Government about this for some time. And these, this, what I'm saying, I'll probably get slated for it, mind you, but what I'm saying, these are just well-known mass screening facts. They're facts. These, this is not conjecture. Yeah. This is not, this is no. not conjecture on your no. part or on the part of your colleagues. These are stone-cold facts. You're right. Look, we, yeah. we've talked often on this programme about the inventor of the PCR test, uh, Kerry Mullis, and, you know, his... his you know, clear statement, it shouldn't be used to detect um, viral load in people. It should not be. We know that the amplify or, or cycle, the threshold yeah. is 45 times when it's not supposed to be anywhere near this. And this is well known. And I, I, I'm not going to drag you yeah. down the conspiracy theory route. Well, I'm not going to do that. I mean, but this, they know there this There are stuff. all these issues with the PCR test as well, which have been discussed, but yeah. I'm not even talking about that. It could yeah. be like the best test in the history of medical Wouldn't tests, matter. and you would still have to correct yeah. for false positives. Yeah. And um, that's been something that we've been agitating about for some time. But we're starting, I think, to get somewhere now. I think people are starting to listen. How do, is that because of the traffic way. coming through the website now, or is that on the ground meeting people when you're out and about? I don't know. I just think people are. I think people are starting to ask more questions about it, and I think the mainstream media is starting to do people's heads in a little bit, yeah. and people are turning to others, and that can be dangerous as well. You know, because people then can turn to less reputable um, sources of information. But we're trying to be as, you know, uncontroversial and factual as we possibly can. Um, I totally get that. I totally mm. get it. You know, talk about what you can prove and not not necessarily, you know, speculate about things that you can't prove. It's generally my approach. I, I appreciate it. We've got Christine Padgham. I hope I pronounced your surname properly, Christine. It's uh, Padgham. Padgham. Thanks for correcting. I should have asked yeah. you before That's we came good. on. Christine Padgham <laughs> is where this informscotland.uk is the website. Statisticians, doctors, virologists and lawyers have come together to, um, you know, obviously discuss that there hasn't been contextualised data presented to the public. It's not available. Uh, they want to change that. They're engaging with uh, politicians and the government in Scotland uh, because this has been, can I ask you, give us a personal feel, Christine, of what it's been like for you. You know, you said September last year. That's what you told me. Back in September, you started really looking at this more broadly. What has it meant personally for you 
lockdown and 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 everything that goes with that? That's a huge question. I know. <laughs> I yeah, we could be here my, all night. <laughs> my life has completely changed, um, but like we've actually, in my family, we've had a really good lockdown in the sense that we haven't really had any personal crises at this time. We've been very fortunate. We haven't had any family in the hospital or anybody in a care home. We've not um, really lost any family members during this time. We've not had the sort of indignity of a lockdown funeral or anything. So I think because my family is very stable, my husband's work is fine. And so I have time to give to this because looking at it being able I think maybe because I've not been involved in any of the sort of logistical nightmares of lockdown that have happened for some people I've been able to take a step back from it and I can see it I can see what it's doing to people and it's been really painful just to watch it from a distance and when I started I was asked if I would do the stats blog on the us for them scotland page i started i took over from somebody else i don't think i had any idea what i was taking on no i can only imagine i had no idea where it was going and then like i I think i was quite well liked on the us for them scotland page and i used to get a lot of and i used to update every single day i think i updated every day for like six months without stopping um and people really appreciated it and i got so many encouraging messages and I started to kind of reach out into the Twitter verse where I found things were maybe a bit less friendly. <laughs> yeah, well, they are certainly <laughs> no doubt. And about I've had, it. I've written quite a lot of articles for um, Think Scotland uh, publication, and I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of encouragement from people. I've had some pretty vicious criticism at times. It's been very eye-opening. People have been scared. Badly scared, yeah. and I I know this from neighbours. Yeah. I know this from people I meet when I'm out walking. Our dog, mm-hmm. I can see that people have been badly scared. A gentleman came after me pretty aggressively. A few, I don't mean physically now. A few weeks back, I host mm-hmm. the doctors, real doctors, real academics who 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 criticise lockdown. I bring them on here because they don't often get much time on commercial yeah. media or or, or any time. So I bring him on and a gentleman properly scared this gentleman. You know, he really believes that we're in the middle of a plague mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. chased me across the park shouting at me for, you know, for basically oh. doing my job. You know, now that's fair enough. And I was able to talk the guy down and we had a chat about it. And they are scared people. And of course, you'll find that yeah. yourself. You know, people are scared. They want the masks. They want the distancing. And somebody like you and your group, they, they might briefly anyway see you as a threat to their safety and that's sad you know because they need to wake up to the fact that mm-hmm. we haven't had a fair open or balanced uh, discussion on this we know this because we only have to look at Carl Hennigan Sineptra uh, yep. Gupta and all these people who are qualified up to the gills Christine they're saying yeah. something entirely different and they're being ignored and I'm guessing you've got a lot of people who are connected to Inform Scotland not UK um, they probably can't go public because they've got careers no, to protect, they can't. right? No, and that's shocking, that isn't it? That that that, that well, qualified people can't speak out. That is one of the um, criticisms that have been levelled at our website, and this is the trouble that people, professional people whose opinions should be respected and should be listened to, can't speak because they're scared of the ramifications and like not being able to support their families any longer. And I think, like I was saying, because I'm not particularly vulnerable to that. So I'm quite happy to 
put myself out there. But I do recognize that a lot of people are really, really scared. And that should scare people. Like, if you can't have fair and open debate, and you can't open your mouth and say, you know, I think lockdowns have, the lockdowns have been very damaging and they haven't done any good. Yeah. People, if people can't say that without being accused of being a horrible person, which is basically what happens, then that's frightening for the future. I don't want my children to grow up in a world like that. No, there is because a... I'm not. I'm not a horrible person. The only reason that I'm doing this is because I'm so deeply concerned for what's happening to people, and it's very strange then to get that accusation levelled at you and to get the anger that people. I know that people are scared. I understand that, but. It's just a bit sad that people can't think that anybody has good motives. There's a bit of McCarthyism. It's 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 dreadful. There's a bit of McCarthyism going on. A very well known epidemiologist who I can't mention. Uh, after weeks and weeks and weeks of me dropping um, him or her messages to say it would be nice to have you on. And, and chat about this stuff. Uh, the person got back to me and said, I'd love to, Richie, but I've seen what's happened to other epidemiologists when they went on the Richie Allen show. They were hammered for mm-hmm. it and criticised, yeah. not because of me, but because I've spoken to people on different subjects over the years. Some of them are very controversial subjects and it's an mm-hmm. open forum. And um, that, that disgusts these people. It disgusts the epidemiologists, but they have a career to protect. They have family yeah. uh, to protect, an income to protect. It's, it's bizarre. Let me just remind our guests, I want to keep plugging the website. We've got Christine okay. Padgham on the programme, informscotland.uk. It's a very good website. It's new. It's only been around since January. And this is a group that's taken a very measured and very professional approach, asking questions about why we're not getting proper grown-up contextualised data on coronavirus? Why are we not being given real information about risks? These are proper questions. And um, the children must be a motivation, Christine. They must be. You said it already, looking ahead to what sort of world they'll inherit. Can't be easy, that. No. I do sometimes, not so much recently because I'm highly motivated now and I'm all set and I know I've got a really fantastic group of people um, assembled and I'm, there's no way I'm going to stop now but I used to sometimes think oh I can't be bothered with this and then I would look at my two daughters and just think no yeah. I can't like this talk about vaccine passports now I just I cannot allow this to happen where my children will grow up in a world where they can be coerced into having medical treatments we're just not we're not doing that Mentally, I'm not having it, it. Imagine I was up in uh, imagine I was up in Edinburgh for the fringe or something two years ago and you were there with your husband and your family and we got chatting as Celts would do because we're Celts we'd yep. have a natter and I said to you hey come here and I tell you um, I bet you in two years time we'll all be locked into our houses for a year and we'll be told we have to have these vaccines you'd have just <coughs> laughed you'd have said that guy is no I didn't I never foresaw any of this by the way I didn't no. foresee any of it but you know if anybody said it to me I would have said listen things are not great and we are lurching a bit towards or because I, for years, I felt we are kind of going down the Orwellian road, but I never saw this, Christine. I never saw no. this coming. If somebody, I think had, I, yeah. I would have thought you were mad, but I think I would. But if I believed you, I would have moved my family somewhere else yeah. <laughs> because I can't. Talk, I, I, this is just an intolerable way to live, and the precedents that we're setting are intolerable. I, and this is what people. I know that people, there are a lot of people who think that all this will just go away, but I, things, cultural shifts like this don't go away. We will be living with the 
implications of this for a really long time. I expect to, by the time I die as an old lady, hopefully, you know, we will still be living with the cultural effects of this. Um, and it's not the world that I brought my children into. Well, the sage, it's funny you say the cultural thing. The sage guys, namely namely Patrick Valance, the chief scientific advisor, and Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer, both of them are quite happy if in the next few years that we treat seasonal flu with some of the measures. Like, they've openly said this, you know, oh, the masks and oh the distancing, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's madness. I mean, I, and, and yeah. where, there's, it's, it's shocking to me, I grew, I grew up, I suppose I've always been in the media. I've done every job in the media, commercial uh, radio, mm-hmm. nationally briefly. I've done it all, me. And um, this idea that you are barring people who are professional and who think that this is not a good idea, that's still the thing that keeps me up at nights more than anything, that we don't get to hear these people on the BBC yeah. or Sky, because I think it might all end very quickly if they were fair well, and opened it up, you know? Yeah, I spoke at the May Day gathering at Holyrood on the 1st of May, and that was basically the point of my speech. I spoke for 17 minutes, and that was the point, that if we just had a bit of discussion about this, about any of this stuff, we could have avoided all of this. Um, right from the very beginning, the Diamond uh, Diamond Princess cruise ship, some very, in my view, panicky scientists and journalists looked at the data from that ship, the outbreak on that ship in February 2020, and that panicky attitude or the, the panicky um, assessment of the statistics from that ship set the tone for this whole thing and if they just allowed or we just had some sensible debate at that point I honestly don't think that we would have gone down the route that we have and there was some very encouraging um, you know bits of news from that Diamond Princess cruise ship outbreak and they just weren't paid no, no attention was paid to those positive outcomes that come out like that four fifths of the ship didn't even get infected at all yeah and that's what we've seen in the population, that the majority of people are not susceptible to this virus. Now, when I said that in January in an article I wrote for Think Scotland, somebody wrote a whole piece in a newspaper about how that was misinformation, that I said that most people weren't susceptible. But it's just a fact. The majority of people weren't susceptible before this even started. Do you know and what, um, Christine? Fact. Do you know what? The next time somebody takes that approach with you... <laughs> On three occasions in the last 12 months, Chris Whitty has gone on television. It's laughable. It's laughable. Whitty has gone on telly and he's done a 90-second little monologue where he said, most people won't get this virus. Of the people who get this virus, most people won't be affected by it very much at all. Of the tiny amount of people who are affected by it, um, most of them will only have symptoms for a couple of days and they'll be in bed. And I mean, he said this three times. What more do people need? He was right. He was right. And yet here we are. I can't go to the boozer after this show. I can't. I can't go and sit at a bar and bore the bejesus out of the barman or the barwoman. Can't do that. I used to love doing that, boring the hell out of a barman. Can't do it now. If you don't laugh, we'll cry. Uh, can I ask I you before I, before I forget, um, before I forget, let me remind our listeners, informscotland.uk, Christine Padgham is our guest. Uh, check the website out, please. What's going on then in Morayshire or Moray? Did I pronounce that right? I'm brutal, me. Well, Murray. Morayshire, yeah. Morayshire, what's going on there? Well, we don't know. <laughs> Um, last week, 
there started to be some murmurings in the news about an outbreak in Murray. And I I can't really watch the news anymore because I just get so infuriated. So yeah. what I rely on my um, friends and helpers and random people from Facebook to tell me about the news. So <laughs> I started to hear about this um, outbreak in Murray and I was like, what's going on? I don't know what you're talking about here and I follow the stats every day I have been a bit negligent recently but I do try and I do usually have a wee look at them and just looking Murray's a, a sub-region of Grampian and the cases were totally flat and I'm like what are they talking about I don't understand you know what's going on and even when you like when I went and looked at the regional like the sub-regional data I could see that, that you know it looked like cases were going up but the problem is that Murray is a quite a rural region and there's quite a lot of smallish towns there. Now I am not entirely sure, I should have maybe looked into this before I came on the show tonight, so I don't want to speak like say anything that's incorrect, yeah, but yeah. I suspect what's happening is because there's been a, a huge amount of asymptomatic testing being going on in Murray and um Particularly, I think Elgin surge testing is that is, is that it surge testing, Christine? Is that going on in Murray? I think I don't know if it's surge. Is that what they call it? Surge Maybe. testing, yeah. They're used, that, that, that's the term they use down here. They rush into an area and test right. everybody. Yeah. So the thing, see, if you think about what I said earlier about false positives, if you go and if you find a lot of, of more positives, you say there's a statistical fluctuation and you get more positives in one area one day, and then you go and you sort of surge in there and do a lot of testing, yeah. you will find a lot of positives. Of You'll find more positives. And the problem is that in, in these towns, for example, which are quite small, they will extrapolate an infection rate per 100,000 from the tests, that, the positives that they've got from a certain region. So let's say you test a region that has a population of 10,000 and you find 10 tests, 10 positives, sorry you would multiply that by 10 to get a rate per 100,000. So it looks like you've got 100 tests, positives per 100,000. Yeah. But if you went to Glasgow, which has a population of 500,000, and you find 10 positives, well, you're going to divide that 10 by 5 to get your rate per 100,000. And so what is happening in Murray now is we're getting this amplified effect where they're sort of miscalculating or calculating in a very unhelpful way a rate per 100,000. And so it looks terrible. This happens in my region. I live in a very uh, rural area in um, Aberdeenshire. And we have a population of 3,000 3, in our sub-region. And so in January, I think it was, it was a massive panic locally because our region had gone red on the infections map. Right. And that meant that we had over 100 cases per 100,000 or something. But of course, we've only got a population of 3,000. Yeah, it's so if you get one yeah, positive, yeah, yeah. if you get one positive in the area, say yeah. one person test positive, you're going to multiply that by thirty three to get your rate per hundred thousand. And so now it looks like you've got it looks dreadful now per hundred thousand. And that's and why I think I think what happens just through local intelligence is one family in the region tested positive, and that sent our rate above a hundred per hundred thousand. And this is why contextualised data is so important exactly. as you've been calling so for. So we have absolutely flat cases in Grampian. In the hospital, I don't know about today, but yesterday we had 11 patients, COVID patients in the whole of NHS Grampian. Now NHS Grampian has a population of 500,000. We have less, 
than five, fewer than five patients in ITU with a positive COVID test. And I suspect it's actually zero patients because in the whole country, in Scotland, we have six patients in ITU with a positive COVID test. Out of a, out of a population so, of five, just under five and a half million people. Yes. And um, so I've been trying to get some attention about this money issue. But we were wondering what was going on because obviously there wasn't a surge and it's just total panic. You know, it's just a sort of panic event, basically. But then at the weekend there, they announced that they were going to expedite vaccinations of the young in Murray in response to this surge. So they were um, prioritising 18 to 39-year-olds. That's right. In the region. Yeah. And I believe that's continuing. And now, of course, they're keeping Murray in level three. So Murray doesn't come out like like the rest of Scotland. And today, the Pfizer has asked the MHRA today, would it um, approve the use of the vaccine for twelve to fifteen year olds? That's another issue entirely. I've had a, oh. a I've had a tweet from Angela who says Christine seems to believe it's incompetence, and we know it's a plan. Why haven't you challenged her on that? Says. Angela, the reason I haven't challenged um, Christine is I get to have my say on these things pretty much every day of the week, all year long. And my listeners know what I think about this. I believe that Mm -hmm. the virus is the excuse for the Orwellian dystopian nightmare they're rolling out. Uh, The virus is nice and handy, but I don't have to ram that down Christine's throat. Um, But Angela mentioned it anyway. Um, Incompetence. Um, I understand exactly what Angela is saying. And I I do think that there's a lot of incompetence. Right. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Hey, listen, listen this, yeah. this is a forum where every opinion will be no, heard I know. and will be listened to. I'm saying, I think that the incompetence is now sort of presenting itself to unbelievable Levels. Or you can't, or you can't, it's not credible. I understand that, yeah. I think that I've actually, I've got my own YouTube channel and I posted a wee video yesterday and some exasperation because I had been phoning around locally about the situation of money. I phoned some local newspapers and I spoke to the representatives um, of the people of money and I was quite surprised at the... You know, like I'm telling them that their people are being locked down almost certainly unnecessarily. There's only a very small rise in cases in Murray and it really doesn't justify prolonging their lockdown. And, you know, nobody wants to take any responsibility for it. They just, they say, well, maybe you should call this person or maybe you should, um, why, you know, one of the questions I get asked was why would Public Health Scotland lie about this? And I I want to have a positive relationship with these people uh, and I I would say they were very helpful and I'm grateful to them for listening to me and things. But this has to stop this attitude that it's somebody else's problem. And um, if you're in a position of authority in a lo- in Murray right now, you should be really, really concerned about what is being done to people there. And I get very tired. I think, I think what happens is all the people who are in positions of authority aren't at any risk personally from lockdown yeah, apart from the yeah, normal sort of yeah. psychological impact it has on people their their jobs aren't at risk no. and they don't have a business that they're worrying about and they don't maybe a lot of them i don't know don't have children who they're concerned about and i, I just you know if these people could spend a day 
in my shoes where I get a lot of messages from people whose lives are being destroyed by lockdown, who can't get in to see parents in care homes who are dying, who can't get in to see terminally ill loved ones in hospital because of these lockdowns. And then when I phone one of the representatives and say, listen, there's nothing happening, Murray. Please go and look at our website. Have you got it open right now? Are you looking at it right now? Can you see the rising cases? And they just don't really, they don't, seem to acknowledge the immense damage that lockdown is doing. No, they don't. And I just find it astonishing. The only thing that they care about is potential COVID damage. And even if, I mean, like yesterday, there were 21 positive cases in Grampian. Now, Murray is a sub-region of Grampian. I'm not sure how many were in Murray. But you just think, okay, so let's imagine all 21 of those cases were from Murray. Right? And we know that some of them are asymptomatic. I've got a story about that, actually. Um, but let's imagine that 10% of those people end up in hospital. Right? That would be a, an absolutely extraordinary thing to happen if it did happen. So we would be talking about an extra two people yeah, in two hospital. People, yeah. in Campion. I mean, does that justify shutting down a whole region? Does that justify expediting vaccinations in younger age groups where we don't have good safety data on that? It doesn't. There's something else going on. I want to ask you this before we run out of time. We've got another three or four minutes. I'll give you the final word. But before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you this. So the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced today that there will be an inquiry into the handling of the so-called pandemic. And this will begin in spring of next year. The terms of reference for the inquiry have not yet been made public. My big concern is is that they'll spend a lot of time asking questions about PPE equipment, whether we lock down quickly enough or not. And what they won't look into, I don't believe, is whether lockdowns are good or bad or ugly or terrible. They won't do that. What do you think? I agree with you. But if I have anything to do with it, they will address the damage that lockdown has done to people. And there are plenty of, I have plenty of associates who have similar ambitions. I will not let this go. Love that attitude, Christine. I'm going to give you the final, I'm going to give you the absolute final word before I do that. Again, the website is informscotland.uk, informscotland.uk. We've been chatting with Christine Padgham this afternoon, virologists, doctors, um, data analysts, statisticians, lawyers come together. Many of these people have to be anonymous because of the nature of what they're discussing and it might have an impact on their careers. Uh, They're doing good work, I believe. I like the website. They've been around since January. I've enjoyed chatting with you, Christine. Final word to you. If there's anything you want to mention specifically before we leave it for today. Great to meet you today. Um, It was lovely to meet you. We have also the YouTube channel Inform Scotland and I also host a a podcast with my friend Sylvia and it's called uh, Corona Stories. It's on Anchor podcast and it's all one word. It's on Spotify as well but it's quite hard to find on Spotify. Spotify makes it My, difficult, yeah. It does. Tell me about it. Do I have a wee, an extra minute? You do. Go ahead. Yep. Um, I just wanted to say that last weekend we um, we were reading the news and uh, we were talking about the Murray situation and I won't name her but somebody was quoted in the BBC as saying somebody in a position of authority that they were particularly concerned about the Murray outbreak because they weren't finding chains of transmission. They weren't, they weren't finding chains. They weren't. And a lot of the cases were asymptomatic. 
And this is the sort of madness that is prevailing now because of this lack of debate. She is saying that in a track and trace system, they can't find chains of transmission and <laughs> the cases are asymptomatic. Madness. So we're saying that we're not finding people passing on the virus to others and they're not sick. And we're, and we're so worried why? about that. And we're worried. Is that a worry? Madness. What is going on? It's just unbelievable. But I, I just think people have gone so far down this route and I, it's almost like you can't reach them, you can't reason with them. They're just... I don't know what's happened. It's very strange. But if people will support our website and share our work and communicate with us, well, I, endorse, I hope that we can still shift the conversation. I hope you can too. I endorse that. Astonishing, isn't it? We can't find really chains is. of transmission. The, the end of that should have been, <laughs> the end of that should have been, woohoo, woohoo, open up. Nobody's transmitting yeah, it. Madness. Good news is banned, Richie. It's banned. Good news is banned. Christine Padgham, thanks so much for your time today. Informscotland.uk. Find Inform Scotland on YouTube. Check out the podcast as well. I promise I'll share links uh, to all of those okay. things on my Twitter. You come back again in the future. You're always welcome. I will. Thank you so much, Richie. I really appreciate you having me on because I don't. I find it hard to get attention sometimes. It's madness. Hey, listen, that's <laughs> what we're you. here for. You're very welcome. Thanks, Christine, and all the best to your husband and your daughters as well. Christine Padgham on the Richie Allen Show this Wednesday. It is the 12th of May, 2021. Madness, isn't it? Oh, we're doing all this tracking and tracing and we can't find any evidence of transmission. That's a real worry. Yes. It's an inversion. My old pal on the Isle of Wight used to say to me, it's an inversion, Richie. <laughs> it is an inversion. Everything is inverted. Asher, look, what are you going to do? Uh, thanks, William in Scotland there. It was very interested in what Christine had to say. Hi to Christopher Shaw. How are you doing, Christopher? He says, Richie, people swear by these bloody masks like they are some silver bullet against anything out there. They do. They do. My friend Hayden Hewitt said to me some weeks ago, when things were much colder than they are now, although, that being said, temperatures have been pretty low in these parts of late. But generally, back in the winter, Hayden's got a young boy, a lovely young lad, so he is, and Hayden was taking him to school. And he was laughing, Hayden, because he was watching people wearing masks in playgrounds and their exhalations were visible coming from the bottom, the sides, the top of the masks. There's no evidence that masks prevent the spread of anything. None whatsoever. But she made an excellent point, Christine, speaking to people on these matters and speaking to them in a lucid way, nice and relaxed, and giving them some pretty hard facts is sometimes like banging your head against a brick wall. It really is. Hi to UK Truth Bot, who says, Good morning, Britain. is a real shithole, ain't it? <laughs> Well, it is. They they have a, 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 a criminal presenting it this week, co-presenting it, a man who should be seeing life through bars. And he's interviewing the guy, Tony Blair, that he, Alistair Campbell, basically span lies for that led to the murder of millions of people and the displacement of millions more. It's positively vaudeville. It's tales of the unexpected stuff, you know. You, you can't believe you're watching it, you know. You can't believe you're watching it. Hi to Charlotte there in Burnley. Dean Smith says, Richie, when you're in fear mode, like most people are, sadly, you cannot think straight. And the powers that be know this psychology very well. 
That's a good point too, mate. When you are scared and anxious, you do find it very difficult, of course, to um, to think straight. Hi to Tony Stark. Tony, you've sent me a bit of a video there. Thanks for it, mate. I'll have a look at it later on. I don't doubt you, Tony, but I don't know what it's showing. It looks a bit distressing, but I have to check it out. It's a, I think it's a claim of vaccine injury. It's on there. Tony Stark has tweeted it to me if you want to watch it. I'll check it out a little bit later on. Okay, okay. Hi to Alan in Liverpool. Hi to Bitcoin Ballsack, who says, Richie, even... That's a great name, that, on Twitter. Even the most heavily mined programmed amongst us must surely be able to see the evil forces at work by now. You'd think so, but I go back to Dean. When people are in a state of fear, discomfort, anxiety, eternal worry... They don't see straight. It's as simple as that. Please take a look at my website, by the way, richieallen.co.uk. It's a good website, richieallen.co.uk. It's a lovely website, designed and maintained by the aforementioned Hayden Hewitt. If you need a website built for you, by the way, find Hayden Hewitt. If you need to find him, he's on Twitter. If you can't find him on Twitter, find me and I will put you in touch with him. He's a great, great guy. He's a top man. Indeed, stay with me. Lots to come. Thanks to you, The Richie Allen Show is the most listened to independent radio show in Europe. Show your support for this unique broadcaster by making a regular financial contribution. Just the price of a cup of coffee each month will make a massive difference. Visit richieallen.co.uk for details. Ten and a half minutes past six, Shambhala says, Richie, this insane madness we're having to suffer through has driven me to, to making a noose. I'm praying to my God that I don't employ it. This is wearying stuff. Shambhala, take that noose now, pull it apart and set fire to it. Don't be thinking things like that. You are amongst friends. We're in it together, those of us who can see through it. Don't be getting so fed up that you're thinking things like that ever. Do you hear me? Don't have me to come and see you and beat the granny out of you before I ply you with Picardies and Cokes. Come on, don't let it get to you uh, that badly, right? You're amongst friends. There are avenues, there are places we can be, you know. Uh, There are online places, I hate to say it, where you can be with people who are uh, in the same boat as you. Uh, Plinky Plonk on Twitter, Brown Eye says, they got rid of one criminal, Piers Morgan, and brought in an even worse criminal, says Brown Eye. Okay, it's time for a tune. Gerald Salente, live from Kingston, New York State, will be with me shortly. And uh, we'll talk about this week's Trends Journal. I love the Trends Journal. Very important to me. I learn a lot from it. This is Tom Petty, Into the Great Wide Open, top album that. From it, it's Learning to Fly. Will I start life? All the great guitar players are dead now, eh? Sadly, Tom Petty and uh, Learning to Fly on the Richie Allen Show 13. And a half minutes past six o'clock this Wednesday, the 12th of May, 2021. Very little I can say that hasn't already been said about the great Gerald Salente. Trendsresearch.com, but go to trendsjournal.com. Subscribe to the journal. It's a fantastic publication. It's been great, of great use to me over the years. This week's edition is brilliant. Fantastic cover on it. Uh, A pair of Canadian Mounties standing outside a church that has been fenced off. Go to church is the question. Go to hell. Let's welcome back live from Kingston, New York, the one and only Gerald Salente. I missed you last month, my friend. Welcome back. 
How are you, Richie? I'm not too shabby. I had 10 days off last month and it was all over the place and we didn't do our regular feature, which I, I, and I genuinely, I'm not being patronising. I, I love you and I love having you on. And thanks for giving us your time every month. You know, I had par, uh, Pastor Artur Pavlovsky, Pav, Pavlovsky excuse me, on the programme before he was arrested um, last week. I know you know who he is. You know everybody. Everybody knows you. We're living in times that... I can't imagine a man is hunted down like a dog, like a criminal with his brother and is dragged off screaming for the crime of praying with his parishioners. Wonderful cover, brilliant um, edition of the journal this week. What's going on, Gerald? Well, that's what inspired us to do that uh, cover. Yeah. And, uh, we, you know, watching him, these little low-life little boys dressed up in their military drag playing cops you know, stopping in the middle of a highway, throwing them on the ground. You know, look at these little, you know what it is? You call these guys out face-to-face, man-to-man. They wouldn't know any of that piss of shit. Yeah. They're only tough when their little boys are around them and they got all these guns. I'm up here in Kingston, New York. The cops aren't like that over here. They're local guys and women. They respect you. Oh, you, they don't stop you because you make a full stop at the stop sign. These little pieces of Calgary crap, little crapsters. That, and, and you can take that word royal mounted police and shuff that royal crap up your ass. Yeah. Or I got to be proper. You got an English show over there. Your arse. Your arse. Yeah. Get in there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, who, what's this royal? Those are, that's profanity. Words like royal. Royal Mounties, Royal Family. Hey, get this in your head, craphead. You're not better than I am. You're not royal. Get it out of your head. Number two, another curse word. Dignitaries. Get the F out of Oh, F-U-C-K is a curse word? No, no. Dignitaries is a curse word. What they've done is they put all these little pieces of low-life scum above us. And if you don't believe me... Look at the cover of the Trends Journal a few weeks ago when your prince over there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Philip. Philip, yeah, yeah 99. Yeah. What, you, look, you look at the cover a couple of weeks ago of Prince Philip, and here's this clown boy. Oh, by the way, he got vaccinated, you know, before uh, this happened. Yeah, he did. Before he died. And anyway, he goes... This is a quote from him. Everybody could look it up. I would like to return as a deadly virus to contribute something to solving overpopulation. Yeah, that's right. You could Google that up. That's a fact. What sick person, what sick royal piece of shit would want to come back as a deadly virus to contribute something to solving overpopulation. Who even it thinks that? Who thinks something like that, let alone exactly. says Exactly. Yeah. And, and this is a royal, a royal piece of shit. And, and if I come back, man, I want to have the hottest, happiest time <laughs> that I can ever, ever dream of. Yeah. All day long, day and night, 24-7, that's what I want to come back as. And I got some Prince. That's another... Cur- Here, Prince. Here, boy. Here, boy. Shove that Prince. Shove the Royal. Shove the Sir. Shove it up your arse. 
I'm tired of these curse words. They are a disgrace to humanity. And that's what the people are sucking up to, these little low-life pieces of crap that have destroyed us. They've destroyed hundreds of millions of lives and livelihoods with their COVID crap. This is next level stuff, though. I know that um, you've often referred to Jesus on this program as the Prince of Peace. I know you have a very personal relationship um, with God. I know it's important to you. I have enormous respect for it. This is next level stuff, isn't it? We, we, we saw this in Ireland a few weeks back, in Athlone, in Ireland. Parishioners, many of them elderly people, gathering to, you know, celebrate the Eucharist, to be together. An Irish police kicking them out of the church and then harassing a man who filmed them doing it. They went to his house a few days later to harass him, the police. Getting in the way of people's relationship with God, Gerald. This is demonic yeah. stuff, is it? Yeah, it is. This is demonic. Look, you talk about we weren't allowed to celebrate Easter. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. And who, the Prince of Peace, this is a, the Prince of Peace makes a whip, right? He makes a whip to drive the money changers out of the temple. The banksters, the Goldman Sachs gang, the J.P. Morgan Chase gang, you know, one, one after another, Royal Bank, the Royal Bank of Scotland, the Royal Bank. Yeah. yeah. What happens three days later? The cat has the last supper and he's hanging on a cross right after that. You screw with the banksters, that's what happens to you. Right in front of everybody's eyes, and they're running the show. In America, we got the head of the bankster group, the Federal Reserve, now is our Treasury Secretary, and the morons and imbeciles. Oh, isn't it wonderful that a woman is now the Treasury Secretary? I don't give a damn if it's a man, woman, black, white, green, yellow. Save your crap. You got a bankster running the show. Oh, just like you got over there in Europe. Oh, Christine Lagarde, yeah, head of the ECB, the FUC, you know what, B. You got no interest rates, so you can't get any savings account because you want to keep the money cheap as hell so the gangsters and banksters can keep gambling, buy up mergers and acquisitions, put all the small businesses out of business, and keep gambling. Simple as that. We've got a Chancellor of the Exchequer here, Rishi Sunak. Well, he's a Goldman Sachs boy that left Goldman Sachs, got into politics, got a, an easy seat in Parliament, and he's pulling the strings here on behalf of his masters. And the wheel turns, doesn't it? You've been telling me about this now since uh, 2011. And on it goes. Well, this is, look, we, there's going to be a big economic bounce back. There's no question about it. It's going to be hot, it's going to be big, and it's going to be short. Interest rates are going through the roof. Uh, excuse me, inflation. Everybody listening knows how costly it is to live. Yeah, right now. And yeah. now and now you're looking at copper prices, for example. Oh, they're only at an all-time high. One after another, steel, oh, everything. And now you're looking at, they're going to have to raise interest rates. Because when inflation skyrockets, they got to raise interest rates. When interest rates go up, this thing is going to crash big time because it's only the monetary methadone that they've been junk injecting into the system to the money junkies to gamble that's been keeping this thing going. So, get, it, you know, it's going to boom for a while. Absolutely no question about it. And by the way, this is party time and it's time for new sound style look products. The old the old is dead. The young people, this is an old person's, 
this is the COVID is an old person's, uh, you know, um, uh, death. It, it, it's not killing young people. The numbers are all there. You know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, uh, uh, we just in the, in the, in the latest trends journal, you you look at it. Uh, I'll give you an example, Calgary, where that, um, that those low life cops locked everybody up, right? Yeah. So let me see Calgary. Let me put the like C A L G A R Y Calgary. Okay. I'm going to give you the data on Calgary because this is right. And this is from the, this is from the Canadian government. In Alberta, where Calgary is, a population of 4,432,258 residents. You ready? Go on. Registered 210,000 deaths, or this is for the COVID, and that equals 0.04756% of the population. Over the past 16 months, that equals the grand total of 0.04. Zero zero two nine seven percent of virus deaths per month, and these little pieces of crappy cops, the Canadian COVID cops, hand out tickets to protesters, leaving anti-lockdowns, locking these people up, throwing them, fining them, throwing this guy in jail, and this is the amount of people that are being killed for the virus. It doesn't matter, though, does it, to, 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 to most people you meet. I was discussing this with my previous guest. The more that it emerges, and the journal has done an amazing job during the whole course of this scam in analysing the data, and it doesn't matter how simple you make it for people, they are married to, wedded to, the masks and the distancing. Give us more of it. Give us more of it. It, it is Again, they don't me. count. No. And that's what we all have to understand. And, and uh, before I make that point, I just want to one other statistic here. The average age, and this is, again, the Canadian government, the average age of the COVID deaths in Alberta, the province, is 81 years old. Same here. 81 years, you know, after you get, after you get, you know, after you die, you go to, you go to, you go to day camp, right? I mean, you're going to die. The denial of death. Now, going back to the people that don't care. Yes, freedom is dead in Canada. But where does freedom ring? And I'll tell you where. A place called Spain in Madrid. Do you know about the election they just had? Yeah, it's astonishing. They, it was a real anti-lockdown result there in Spain. That's right, yeah. The Partido Popular got decimated in the election yep. there, yeah. Yeah, the woman, Isabel Diaz uh, yeah. Ayuso. Yeah, yeah, that's her, yeah. Yep, and what she, her campaign slogan was one word. One word. What was the word? Remind me, it wasn't enough, was it? Nope, nope, think. Oh, God, you, you can't, at the end of the day, go on. Bail me out. Take me out of my misery. What was it? Freedom. Freedom. That's right. Freedom. That's right. Freedom. One yeah. word. Yeah. One. So when I'm saying I don't give a, I don't give a, I don't care about the people all aboard. Next train to Auschwitz. Get on board and put your mask on. I don't care about them. Yeah. No, I care about the people that want freedom. You do really though. I'm calling you out because you're a, you're you're a Christian. You're somebody who's got more love in you than anger. You've got righteous anger, you're indignant and you're entitled to it. You've been doing this for years. But I know that deep down you don't mean that. Because no, I'm angry because they're angry. robbing us of our freedom. Again, the Prince of Peace became angry and violent and picked up a whip. 
because they were the bankers were destroying the lives of all these people. Of course I'm angry. Oh, I'm happy to get screwed up the arse by the politicians. Yeah, yeah I'm angry. I don't do it. And by the way, I'm having a big rally on May 29th up here in Kingston. And you can go to OccupyPeace.com, OccupyPeace.com, and the rally is to unite for freedom, peace, and justice. And I'm having these, I'm going to start after the 4th of July, having them every week. And I'm doing it against the law. Brilliant, Charles. That's, I'm that's having, May 29th. I'm fighting for freedom. And what I need, everybody needs to understand if that if we unite for freedom, as they did in Spain with Diaz Ayuso, one word, one word of a campaign, freedom. And that's what we have to fight for because if we all unite for freedom, we, we wipe these people out. There are more people that want freedom than the, than the, than the people They're that scared. march off to, to, to Mussolini and Stalin and Heil Hitler. I, feel, I still feel terribly sorry for them. I, I hear you, and I'm angry as well. I, I want sometimes to slap them, not, not, not I hard. I don't care about them. No. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't waste my time with them. Can I just give, that one, can I just give that one nope. reason? I'll tell it you why. Make, it, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of energy. Yeah. They've been terrified though, haven't they? They've been terrified. It, it's a waste of energy. If you put your energy into trying to convince imbeciles, morons, and gutless cowards, rather than putting your energy into unite freedom fighters. Fair enough. All right. You lose. And that's uh, the 29th of this month and then every month thereafter. OccupyPeace.com. If you're anywhere uh, around New York State or anywhere on the East Coast or the North or the West Coast, if you can get there, go and support what Gerald Salente is doing. TrendsJournal.com. He's the publisher of the brilliant Trends Journal. I, it's, I, I endorse about three things. I endorse that. It's a fantastic magazine. It's weekly. Great staff, great writers and great um, um, illustrators as well, it must be said. Can't believe I couldn't remember Freedom. It's been a long day here. You've got to forgive me. Freedom, <laughs> that's right. And, 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 uh, and she won. She won a landslide. I can't yeah, not ask you. A landslide. A landslide. Uh, so, so the will is there. If, yes. if there's something to follow, yeah, absolutely. Yes, and that's what I tell everybody when you start complaining about them. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about them. I don't care about them. We have to unite for freedom. And by the way, if, of course, you know, if you can't make it here, please donate because we need money to keep this going. And we had a wonderful person, Neil Anderson, may he rest in peace, that left us you know, some, some money for, for a, good, a good amount to keep this thing going. And, and we, keep, you know, we keep building it. And, and I have a big announcement that I'm going to make the next time I'm on your show Brilliant. about uniting for freedom, peace, and justice. I'm starting a universal movement on it, and I'm going to tell you more about it when, when I'm back. That's great. Because and can I, can I just ask, I can't wait for that. What about the 29th? Will those of us who can't make it over there, obviously I oh, can't, gonna, will it be streamed? It'll be live streamed. It'll be streamed, great. On, on the Trends Journal YouTube channel, presumably? Yes, yep. Right, good. I'm going to put links out to that. Not that I need to. You can follow Gerald on Twitter, by the way. It's at Gerald Salente. I'm the only person in England allowed to say Gerald. To everybody else, it's Mr. Salente, if you please. It's <laughs> Gerald. It's Gerald. Once you, once you go past 10 interviews, you're given dispensation to say Gerald. If I didn't ask you about this, uh, it would be remiss of me. Um, the Israelis are about to start carpet bombing. I know they've been doing it for the last two days. Um, this guy, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's an arch criminal, he's determined to wipe Palestine and Gaza 
off the face of the earth, isn't he? Uh, there's there's been a, a development here which is positive. Amazingly, Sky News and its reporter Mark Stone in Tel Aviv is actually asking the hard questions. I've never seen uh, this before in the really? mainstream. Yes, he is. I've never seen anything like it. He's accused the Israeli police of um, um, brutalising Palestinians who came out to break uh, fast uh, during Eid. He's um, spoken to Israeli Defence Force officers and he's accused them of basically way uh, over-the-top disproportionate responses, basically bombing Gaza. This is, it's, it's not, you know, hallelujah, but it's still better than we've ever seen from uh, the mainstream. There are a lot of fears that we're going to see what we saw back five, six years ago, this this Operation Protective Edge, which was a disgrace, that it's going to get worse. What, what do you see? How do you feel watching what's developing there at the moment? Well, you read the Trends Journal. We had we did a big article. Israel, Israeli troops storm mosque, bomb Gaza. Yeah, that's right. On Monday, some 1,000 Israeli security forces stormed the El Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem, injuring more than 300 Palestinians. And then they bombed away. And, and then we write, the attack on the mosque came on Jerusalem Day, which is the anniversary of Israel's 1967 annexation of East Jerusalem from Jordan and the building of settlements. This is in violation of Article 49 of the Fourth Geneva Convention of 1949, which states, quote, the occupying power shall not deport or transfer parts of its own civil, civilian population into the territory it occupies. Yeah. So, well, you know, I make this very clear. If you say anything bad about Israel, they call you an anti-Semite, right? Absolutely. All right. Now, I go after that little low-life piece of scum crap that's the uh, prime minister of Italy, Mario Draghi, the former bankster from the Goldman Sachs gang, ran the ECB World Bank he worked for in the Bank of Italy. I call out that low-life piece of garbage, scum, crap, daddy's boy I got over here, murderer uh, Andy Cuomo, the governor of New York, who took people with, with the virus, elderly people, out of the hospitals and put them in nursing homes. I call him out. I call that Fauci fraud out, the little clown boy, the arrogant guy that's a little lying freak that keeps selling COVID fear. There were three Italians, right? Now, if their name was Fauciov, uh, Cuomoberg, and Draghistein, they'd call me an anti-Semite. But I could call them out. I was, I'm an Italian-American. I could call them out. That's fine. So the, I want to make this 100% clear. By calling out a Netanyahu, a Gantz, and all the other ones, you're not an anti-Semite. These are Ashkenazi Jews. They didn't convert to Judaism until around, what, 800 AD, and they're from Eastern Europe, like beyond Turkey up there. Then <laughs> Semites are people from the Mesopotamia region. So they're not anti-Semites when you're calling them out. Number two, a couple of weeks ago, and again, we wrote it in the Trends Journal, a number of major organizations are accusing Israel of apartheid. Human Rights Watch being one, yeah. Yes. So what Israel is doing is as disgusting as the United States 
and its allies do when they destroy Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, and now Israel's doing the same thing. Netanyahu, again, this is what we wrote in the trend forecast. As Gerald Salenti has long noted, and history shows when all else fails, they take you to war. We've reported that since November 2019, Netanyahu has been under the, pre- under the pressure of a criminal indictment on charges of fraud and bribery. Israel held its fourth national election in less than two years, and Netanyahu has failed, again failed to put together a winning coalition. So what he's done is by storming the mosques on Monday, the military actions, now the people quickly forgotten you know, what was going on, and there was supposed to be a scheduled meeting between the, the groups that wanted to get Netanyahu out on Monday, and Abbas, the leader of the United Arab List, was going to support the party he was, that yeah. was going to get Netanyahu out. That's hugely important. Gilad Atzman has written about this. It's on uns.com. Um, that's great, great analysis, Gerald. That's exactly what was going to happen. And, um, and now, of course, this is in, you know, it's, in, it's a distant memory because of what's happened in, in, uh, in, recent, in recent days. None of us want to see and, it get serious. I mean, it's serious enough already. Dozens of Palestinians have oh, been Oh, no, killed. no, this is... And then the other thing about all the rockets. These are bottle rockets, for Christ's sakes, compared to the bombing and the weaponry that Israel has. And we, the people of the United States, give Israel over $3 billion a year. Why are they taking my money to give it to Israel? I don't want it going to Italy. I don't want it going to Ireland. I don't want it going anywhere. And it's certainly not going into killing other people. Yeah. Can I ask you this? I'm an Irish Republican, right? And um, fought those battles peacefully, obviously, um, for years, you know, those discussions. I have friends who are Jewish and they don't have any time for the state of Israel either. None. No, none of, mine either. none of yours do either. But yeah. one or two of my Jewish friends have said, Richie, you know, I understand what you make the comparison with the Catholics in Northern Ireland, the apartheid, and, and you say that the Palestinians have no choice. But firing anything at residential areas, I mean, some Jewish, some Israelis have died as well today. And yeah. my, my Jewish mates say two wrongs don't make a right, and Hamas no, no, shouldn't be no, targeted. No, no. Yeah. no, there are Israelis that are dying in an occupied territory. Which is what I say, right? Yeah. And, and again, they call the people that fight back militants. Like, oh, those Iraqi militants. militants oh, yeah. they want you out of your country, then you're a militant. You could kill them, that's okay. But when payback's a bitch and you fight them back, oh, then you're a militant. So people who say an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, they're wrong. Yeah, no, we, we need peace. Yeah. And, and again, they, they, they have no right being there. They're in violation of the law and they get away with it. I agree. Here's a question for you. You won't like this one. You're going to punch me through the, uh, through the <laughs> cyber sphere. Um, I said to Gilad before and others that I've had on, other Israelis who are very much anti, well, Gilad wouldn't describe himself as an Israeli anymore. I've said, um, why do we reserve such wrath maybe justifiable for Israel. I mean, I have. I've gotten into a lot of trouble for the things I've said about Israel over the years. Why don't we have more um, antipathy for our countries? Because our countries enable Israel. Israel is like a bad child. It's an audit child. It does what it does. It's horrendous. It's genocidal. Of course it is. But that's what Israel does. Um, not every Israeli, but that's what Israel does. But we enable it. 
my country, Ireland, enables it. Spain, France. Um, oh, yeah. We enable it. We they, allow them to do it. We're worse, aren't we? Our governments are again, worse than Israel. We got this little piece of Yang crap over here, this little boy running for mayor in New York. What a jerk. And he came out how strong he supports Israel to get the Jewish vote. Yeah. Same thing over here and this guy DeSantis down in Florida. Yeah, I like that he opened up the place and everything, but he's pro-Israel to get the Jewish vote. Yeah, they're sellouts. You'd love but again, that, you know, yeah. I want to talk a, a bit about the economy going on here, too. This is very big with inflation. And, and you're going to see it really, really peak up. It's going to go down at some point. But again, if the, for the people that, you know, that, that play the markets and do these certain things, the markets are, are about peaked right now. And we, we are forecasting that by the end of the year, they're going to be into bear territory, which means they're going to be down over um, 20%. So get ready for a big correction. And we're going to go into the greatest depression. What they, they have destroyed so many businesses around the world with these lockdowns, it's not coming back. It's going to, of course it's going to come back from where it was, you know, in terms of, yeah, it's better than what it used to be, but the businesses that have been put out of business are not going to come back. No, in any so form. people better, you know, consider, you know, preparing for this because as we're speaking now in the States, we got the uh, Dow Jones is down almost 450 points. It, yesterday it was down nearly f about the same thing. You're looking at the NASDAQ, the high tech stocks did down about 2.5%. And meanwhile, you're looking at the cryptos and like Ethereum, they keep going up. The, the, we're forecasting, and we've been right on the money with these, they're going to keep going up until they're deregulated, uh, regulated rather, because we're going to start seeing all of the nations go crypto. This way they can get, know every penny that you spent, where you spent it and how you spent it. We're getting rid of that dirty cash and we're going to digital trash. Thank you very much for saying that. I am sick of being told by people that I should spend, that I should do my business in Bitcoin. And I don't have your understanding of the economy and money. Of course I don't. But I know that a centralised digital currency, regardless of whether it's called Bitcoin or Mitcoin or Pitcoin, it's better for them in the long run. I know yep. this. Thanks for saying so, that again. So they're going, when, but, but in the meantime, they're going to keep going up. So until they until they're going to go from dirty cash, they're going to say to digital, we call it digital trash. So they know every penny that you spent, where you spent it, how you spent it, so they can get their money from it. So these little low life pieces of scum garbage crap called politicians who've been sucking off the public tit their whole lives and never work a day in their lives. And these bureaucrats, these arrogant little boys and girls who can't get a job in the real world that suck up into the political system, they want your tax money so they don't have to work and, and they Absolutely. can keep it, it. So they know every penny that you spent, where you spent it, how you spent it. And so they got your whole life, your whole life in front of them. And you told me some years ago, you were the first person to talk to, talk to me about social crediting. They can punish people then for transgressions. Any yep. transgression they invent, you could be caught urinating up against the side of a pub uh, because their toilets are full 
and they can prevent you from shopping for a week or stop you going to the theatre. It's all there. If I don't ask you this, I know our time is nearly up today. I'll be shot for not asking you. Um, loads of interest in this story that came out over the weekend. Uh, Transjournal.com, folks, by the way. Gerald Salente is our guest. Um, this, uh, the US fuel pipeline going offline and this group, Darkside, taking responsibility for it. Um, a lot of people feel that the true story is not being told there. This uh, US fuel pipeline, a cyber criminal gang. What do um, you know about this and... And I, I don't know, but, it, but, I, but here's what I do know. You, <laughs> this pipeline was built in 1960. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, did a thing break down because it's a piece of crap? And, and who, when did they, if, and if it was a cyber attack, get ready for, this is going to be World War Three. It's in the terms of, there's going to be, all the weaponry that they have now is most of it's antiquated. The next wars will be cyber wars. There'll be biological warfare, hypersonic weapons. And uh, we're seeing this kind of thing as well. And again, let's go back to that, the, the pipeline. Now you're seeing uh, Brent crude. It's uh, hovering around $70 a barrel. So talk about inflation. Now you have this pipeline break. And now you're going to start seeing prices go up even more. And again, the whole system is create, controlled by a few. And this company controls most of the pipeline activity in pushing gas through, the, uh, through a lot of the different states in America. So that's what you're going to see. We're going to, again, it goes back to the inflation index and how this thing is going to spike. And now you put it together, what's going on now in the Middle East. You don't think you know what's going to be next, right? All of a sudden, Israel is going to be bombing Syria more, hitting more uh, Iranian targets, as they've been doing, and it's going to heat up even more. We see oil, Brent crude, going to $100, $80 a barrel, kiss the economy goodbye. Your markets are going to... The only thing that's holding this up to make it look like the world is still running in, a, in an operational way are the equity markets being ratcheted up. When the equity markets crash, then the reality will hit. Until that happens, the reality on Main Street, they don't care about it at all. But when the markets crash, then it'll be felt around the world. And the markets are going to crash. And in the meantime, you mentioned earlier on um, people are not feeling it. I mean, some lots of people are feeling it, obviously, but not as many people are feeling it because of these crazy furlough schemes where the government yep. is giving people money not to work while businesses are, are disappearing. And of course, once that's taken away, well, then you're into the territory that you've just described brilliantly this evening. It's crazy territory, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're looking at the United States debt-to-GDP ratio is the worst it's been since World War Two, you know, when they borrowed all that money to fight the war. And and you know, on the on the money that the government's pumping into the system at fifteen dollars an hour, right? Fifteen dollars. Why an hour. should you work when yeah. the money you're getting is an equivalent to earning fifteen dollars an hour? So why should I go back to work when it's, I'm getting the money for free? It's happening so here. The restaurants, the hospitality sectors, they can't find they can't find uh, people to work. 
there, there's a shortage of employees. Although the unemployed, although there are since the COVID war began, some 10 million people out of work. Two, 10 million people 10 out of million work, people. and they can't find employees because they're giving them the money. Now, this is where clairvoyancy comes into this. You're, you're as usual, bang on. Two listeners to this program own businesses, hospitality businesses, both of them, including Laura Layton, who's been a guest on the program. She's got a beautiful pub in Cheshire here in the Northwest. Uh, tweeted today saying, can't get staff. Can't get yep. staff, she said. Wow. And oh. another gentleman has a, has a restaurant. He's looking for a chef. Same thing. Can't, can't get a chef. No. Because people are happy to be paid to do nothing and they don't realise they're being complicit in their own destruction. Nope. And again, you know, that. so you look at that reality, you put it together, and then you move on. And the moving on is, okay, what are the implications of this? And the implications are the governments are going to, they're destroying their currency. And you're going to see inflation continue to go higher and as, as the value of the currency declines. Because the cheaper, the, the lower the currency goes, the more it costs you to buy things. More it costs you to buy things. And, we're, you know, we're looking at food shortages and all sorts of crazy things coming down the line, which, which um, again, we've discussed on the programme. Um, remind us about October 20th, excuse me, Jesus, what's wrong with me? May 29th, which is only 17 days away. May 29th. Remind us about that rally and OccupyPeace.com. Yep, the rally is to unite. For freedom, peace, and justice, we're going to have music. Oh, great jazz band, Smokey Hormel. Yeah, this guy, I mean. We, 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 and we got guys, one guy, his grandfather was, was the, was the uh, you know, the uh, Jelly Roll Morton, one of the famous guys in the beginning of jazz, used to play with him. So we're going to have great music. Um, you know, the grand, this is the grandson, of course. The, uh, uh, we're going to have food, speakers. A great time. I'm throwing. I'm and beginning July 4th, I'm gonna have another one, and then every week after that, I'm gonna keep throwing parties to unite for freedom, peace, and justice. I will not succumb to dictatorships. I was not put on this earth to take orders. I don't give them. I don't take them. You're a legend. Thanks to everybody at the Journal for producing the Trends Journal every week. Trendsjournal.com. You've been listening to the great Gerald Salente, live from Kingston in New York. Speak again um, next month when you can tell us all about the 29th, Gerald. Thanks again. And thank you for all that you do and all the listeners that you have, for the people that appreciate being a, uh, a, a free human being to create your own future without a bunch of low-life pieces of garbage called politicians and bureaucrats to tell you what to do. So thank you very much, and thank you, everyone. OccupyPeace.com, OccupyPeace.com, and TrendsJournal.com if you want to read history before it happens. Brilliant. Amen to that. Thank you, Gerald. Gerald Salente, live from Kingston in New York, OccupyPeace.com. If you can get along to that on May 29th, do. Go and see him. Great man. Uh, human contact. Hey, eh? Won't that be lovely? Human contact. Uh, a few hugs, a few handshakes, a few beers, a hot dog, a jazz band. It sounds like the plan to me. It's exactly 10 minutes to 7 o'clock. Yeah, Laura Layton was in touch. She was on the programme, Laura. Runs the railway in, in Moberly, and she's looking for staff. Perplexed, can't seem to get staff. And then somebody else who's got a restaurant, forgive me for not being able to find the tweet now at the moment, but um, he came on to say that he's looking for a chef. I joked with him. Because I think he, he, he said, I, I'm looking for a young chef. 
like, you can't say that. You can't say that there are discrimination laws or anti-discrimination laws. You can't just go saying, I want a young chef. <laughs> I want a young chef. Ages, you can't do that. You, you, you've got to, you know, if you want a young chef, you've got to advertise for a chef and then you've got to interview older chefs but not give them a chance and then give it to a young person, I suppose. Hi to John Pierce. Thanks, John. Uh, hi to John in Austin in Texas. We know him as Scottish John. How you doing, John? Good to uh, to be with you. Hey, let me give a big plug to uh, Trigger Warning. That's Hayden Hewitt and Graham Booth, which airs every Thursday at 10 o'clock. It streams on YouTube, Trigger Warning TV. So it's youtube.com forward slash Trigger Warning TV. I had a very interesting conversation with Hayden today about some very interesting developments around live streaming and video hosting. And I hope he'll be on the programme in the next couple of weeks to talk about that. Not anything now that he's um, launched, not at all, but something that somebody else has launched. And they've been in touch with Hayden Hewitt about that. And it might be something, something that might be very useful in our fight against censorship, our fight against censorship, because we're all in it. All of us, censorship is everywhere, isn't it? So I, I want to address something because I've not been uploading this program to YouTube.com since back in December last year. And um, people are very funny. People are very set in their ways. And I got a lot of stick from people. I said, oh, I used to listen to you on YouTube. And you get, you get people in this world, in this life, and they spend a lot of time on YouTube the way others spend seemingly most of their day on Twitter or Facebook. YouTube is a hangout place for people. And I got criticised for not uploading it to YouTube. And you tell people, well, look, there's 17 other ways to listen. Doesn't matter. They don't listen to you because you're not on YouTube. Yeah, but I've got Podomatic and Spotify and iTunes and Podbean and God knows there's a million of them. Yeah, but uh, YouTube. That's what you get from people, right? I can't upload to YouTube because YouTube have told me. I've shown you the screen grabs. I've put them online. YouTube have said, we're just going to delete your videos and ban you. <laughs> you can keep your account, but don't be uploading any videos because we'll just delete them and ban you. Because you can't be interviewing people about coronavirus unless those people say that coronavirus is the plague. It's biblical and you've got to have the vaccines. Otherwise, don't interview people. Don't interview academics who say the vaccines might be dangerous. So I can't upload to YouTube. I should never have opened that second YouTube channel anyway. Never. When my first YouTube channel was deleted three and a half years ago, remember, my YouTube channel with 100,000 subscribers, growing at the rate of 5,000 subscribers per month, by the way, which was earning some money for the programme. When they deleted that, I was stupid to open another one. But I did it because of that set-in-their-ways type people. Those set-in-their-ways type people. So I uploaded. Can't upload now. Not going to give them the satisfaction in deleting the channel again. So feck him. All the old interviews and videos for from the last two and a half years are there. And presumably they will remain there unless YouTube says sometime in the future, Oh, this channel is not being used. Nobody is uploading to it, so we'll delete it. That might happen, but that's the way it is. At the moment, I've got an independent stream. My streaming host is a very big company, and they're nice. 
and they've been nice to me lately. I had to get in touch with them lately. I was very worried because this programme has so many listeners now, live, that I was going over the allocated bandwidth, which was like six terabytes of data per 28 days. Yeah, think about that, right? There were so many listeners that we were going beyond six terabytes of data every 28 days. I was on their top package. And I was saying, look, please, don't don't bump me off air. I'll pay some more money. I'll find the money somehow. Don't bump me off air. Just give me more terabytes of data. And fair play to them. After months, they got back to me and they've given me more terabytes of data to play with. They've also given me an assurance, not in writing now, not in writing, but they've given me an assurance that they won't take the stream away from me, that they won't cut my legs off or take the legs from under me, that as long as I come on here at five o'clock every day, I'll be able to stream. Thank God. Podomatic said the same thing. Podomatic said, Richie, we love you. Um, 50,000 people a day grab one show or another on Podomatic. Isn't that an amazing thing? 50,000 people a day either listen to last night's programme or some other programme in recent weeks on Podomatic. It's wonderful. They've said to me, we will never censor you. So long as you're not going on your programme telling people to commit acts of violence, which is against the law, which of course I wouldn't do because I'm a pacifist, we won't cut the legs out from under you either. So we'll always have the stream, please God, and we'll always have Podomatic. And that's a good thing, I think, anyway. I'm optimistic, you know, about staying on air for a while, you know. I know I was a bit annoyed with uh, the Facebook thing. Not so much not so much annoyed with Facebook, because I couldn't give a shit about Facebook. I think what annoyed me about that was this kind of fear that maybe we're getting to the stage now where, where I might have to worry about streaming. That's what it was. It wasn't fa- I don't care about Facebook. But my, my streaming host which is a massive company in California. And my podcast host, where I upload the podcasts, Dave said to me, Richie, don't worry. As long as you're doing it, we won't, we, won't, um, we won't stop you. We won't get in your way. So there you are. Anyway, that's about it for tonight then. I have to say I really enjoyed listening to Christine Padgham earlier on. Uh, lovely lady. Informscotland.uk. Very bright lady too. Uh, informscotland.uk check her out uh, please do thanks to those of you who recommended her she got in touch by the way of her own volition and as usual Gerald Salente a long time friend of mine do check out trendsjournal.com and again May 29th Occupy Peace the rally occupypeace.com if you get a chance to go and have a drink with him you'll find him the most um, accommodating of gentlemen he's a lovely bloke beneath that hard exterior and that righteous anger by the way he's a very very nice man going out of the programme with Jeff Beck today of course you'll be back with me tomorrow at 5 o'clock we meet every day at 5 and we'll have a chat I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow I've no idea whatsoever but we'll figure it out we'll figure it out overnight and we'll do something look after yourselves and one another enjoy the rest of your Wednesday bye bye